Hey, batter, batter. Are you ready to hit a home run with flavor? Step up to the plate and swing by Penn Station East Coast Subs, where every bite is a grand slam. Craving a classic Philly cheesesteak or maybe a savory chicken teriyaki? Or how about loading up on their delicious fresh-cut fries? Call it a triple play by ordering Penn Station's signature fresh-squeezed lemonade. When it comes to subs, Penn Station is the big league. Order online at penn-station.com or stop at a store near you. Penn Station East Coast Subs. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hi, my name is Robert Lamb, and this is The Monster Fact, a short-form series from Stuff to Blow Your Mind focusing in on mythical creatures, ideas, and monsters in time. In this episode, we will finish our look at the four chaos gods of the fictional far-future universe in Games Workshop's Warhammer 40,000. In previous episodes, we looked at Bloodthirsty Corn, the Hyperprotean Zinch, and the Plague Lord Nurgle. Today, we enter the domain of Slanesh, the Lord of Excess. In 40k lore, we are told that Slanesh is the youngest of the Chaos Gods, having only truly accreted out of mortal souls and emotions with the fall of the decadent Aldari civilization, an event that all but destroyed the Aldari and tore open a massive warp rift known as the Eye of Terror. Slanesh's domain is that of hedonistic excess, but also that of need, want, and obsession. The demons that manifest in Slanesh's service are alluring contradictions that blur the line between pleasure and pain, desire and revulsion. The demonettes of Slanesh make up most of the Chaos God's battle force, and they feature some favored characteristics of Slanesh's servants. They are humanoid beings with pale flesh and long purple hair, alluring yet also equally ghoulish. Their feet and legs are reminiscent of reptiles or birds, bringing to mind such real-world mythic traditions as that of harpies and succubi. Oh yes, and they also have crab claws. Lots of crab claws. Something that doesn't really connect to any mythic or folkloric traditions that I'm aware of, but they absolutely make it work, and it has become a signature aspect of their look. Demonettes also appear bilaterally asymmetrical, particularly in the chest region, where one side features a female breast and the other a male breast. While titillation is clearly part of this design, it also strongly echoes the male-female duality in the symbolism of Baphomet from occult and Western esoteric traditions. This influence is especially prevalent in the towering Keeper of Secrets, the deadly Slaneshi demon champions, which often, especially in recent depictions, feature strong goat-like characteristics, such as foot and head, reminiscent of Baphomet. But there's another servant of Slanesh that I'd like to talk about here, and that's the Mask of Slanesh. This purple-hued herald once danced in the good graces of the Lord of Excess, but according to the 9th edition Chaos Demons Codex from Games Workshop, the mask fell out of favor with Slanesh and is now cursed to dance and cavort forever across strange realms and battlefields. The dance of the mask emboldens surrounding Slaneshi forces, but also ensorcels enemy troops to join into its spiraling dance, 
where it slices them to exotic ribbons of flesh. This, of course, brings to mind a famous mania from our own history, the dancing plagues of the 14th through 17th centuries. As pointed out by John Waller in A Forgotten Plague, Making Sense of Dancing Mania, published in 2009 in The Lancet, a certain degree of embellishment stains some of these accounts, but cases in 1374 and 1518 are pretty well documented. Most sources agree that dancing plague incidents involved groups of individuals swept up in long bouts of involuntary dancing. The dancers cried out in pain or pleaded for mercy. In some accounts, they danced until they died. While enigmatic and certainly hard to believe from a modern perspective, dancing plagues are not without skeptical explanation. Waller explores a few leading ideas in the paper. First, there's the possibility of ergot poisoning, a topic we've discussed in depth on Stuff to Blow Your Mind before. It's caused by the consumption of fungus-infected grains that can lead to nightmarish altered states of consciousness. Waller also discusses the possibility that the dancers could have been in an involuntary trance state, something people are far more susceptible to during states of intense psychological distress. And these centuries certainly provided plenty of stressors. This explanation also required exposure to a pre-existing belief about dancing plagues. Uh, and in these cases, the cause would be believed to be some sort of a spirit or a curse. And there is evidence for this in art, literature, and law from these time periods and regions. So Waller writes, quote, Every so often, when physical and mental distress rendered people more than usually suggestible, the specter of the dancing plague could quickly return. All it then took was for one or a few poor souls believing themselves to have been subject to the curse to slip into a spontaneous trance. Then they would unconsciously act out the part of the accursed, dancing, leaping, and hopping for days on end. It's a different sort of compulsion than that found among the followers of Slanesh, but there are other examples of mass hysteria or mass psychogenic illness to consider, such as laughing epidemics and witchcraft panics. Though, of course, Slanesh doesn't have to work through such real-world means to control people. That's all for this Monster Fact series, but I think I'm going to continue the basic format here with future episodes, drawing on groups of creatures from other fandoms and, uh, and other traditions. So tune in for additional episodes each Wednesday in the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast feed. As always, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts are wherever you listen to your favorite shows. For the past 30 years, Care Heating and Cooling put you first. You are the reason they are open seven days a week. You are why they make it easy to schedule service at careheatingandcooling.com. Concern for your safety is why they check every gas furnace for carbon monoxide. It's because of you that their technicians are paid to fix your furnace and air conditioner, not sell you a new one. And if you do need a new furnace, their team will make sure you get exactly what you need at a cost that fits your budget. Care Heating and Cooling is committed to doing business right. Call them at 1-800-COOLING when you need a company you can trust.